And once you are there, go ahead and turn to Romans. If you guys were with us, we kind of did an introduction to it a couple weeks ago, just going through the first verse in talking about um, the attributes Paul, when he's introducing himself to the Romans, that, that we see that are basically proof of how he's been changed by Jesus. Us wanting to share, or what I wanted to share with you guys was just understanding the importance of the gospel, like what it actually results in in life, seeing the change in Paul, because that's what makes us want to know, or should make us want to know and understand the theology of the gospel, which Paul spends a lot of time talking about in the book of Romans. But it's the fact that it changes us and changes other people. So today, um, before we get into the text we're going to be in, I just want to talk about a little bit about this good news that we have to share with people. Um, How many of you guys would agree that when you have really good news to share, that you're in a sense obligated to tell other people that you know it'll bless? Would you guys agree with that to some sense? Let me give you an example. So like um, many of you that have been here for a while, uh, at least three years or so, um, kind of went with us through this trial we had with our last born son, Ezekiel, um, where uh, of all the kids that the Lord's blessed us with, that birth was definitely the most uh, nerve-wracking or traumatic in that um, my wife had uh, higher blood pressure um, during it, and so they were watching for preeclampsia, and uh, they were keeping track of that um, months early, and when we went in about a month before he was due, uh, her blood pressure was so high they were afraid that she could you know, basically have a stroke or a heart attack, and they wanted her admitted immediately to expedite that birth. And so that was just kind of unexpected. And, and you know, of course, they're going to give you the worst case scenarios. This is what could happen. And I, I have a cool testimony with that many of you guys knowing that um, the Lord had woken me up in the middle of the night uh, months before and put on my heart the name Ezekiel for our son, which wasn't something we were planning. And I didn't really think much of it at the time other than just kind of looking into what the name meant and that was God strengthens. And as I was kind of freaking out at everything that was going on when we were initially told what could happen, the Lord brought that to my attention that, hey, I already told you, name him Ezekiel because I'm gonna strengthen him. You don't have to worry. It was like just this, this peace he, he kind of gave us in, in understanding that rem- rem- Reminding us of that. So anyways, all that to say is we went through that traumatic week and I was texting a bunch of people that I had group text with because people were wanting to know how to pray and, and many of you guys were praying and I was giving updates. And when he was finally born and there was, you know, he was totally fine. The Lord answered prayers. My wife was fine. Everything was good. And the Lord just totally just blessed us in, in the way he answered. I was keeping everyone in the loop. I, I was urgently trying to, give everyone the good news, right? Because it was like I knew they were waiting for it. So I was obligated to give them that news that I knew would bless them, amen? So much the same way, everything Jesus has done for you, everything he's done for me, you know, the gospel, if you will, which incorporates everything that we know about God and and what that amounts to in our life through receiving that that gospel, that good news, through believing in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Like, that is super good news. And if, uh, yeah, there should be a lot more amens, all right? Because if, if you, like Paul, who really got this, understood where you were and where you are now and where you're going, 
you have nothing but good news to share with other people, right? And it's important we never lose sight of that. It's important we understand the theology of the gospel, as Paul shares in this book, so we really understand what God has done for us fully because that is good news that you're obligated to share with other people, as we're gonna see with Paul in today's text, all right? So let me read through the section we're gonna be in, and then I'll pray, and then we'll start going through it verse by verse. So it says, uh, Romans 1, starting in verse 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You gotta love his run-on sentences, all right? Obviously, you don't have to be an English major to be used by God in a major way, all right? He goes on to say, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under no, or I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach a gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Lord God. Such good news, even contained, so much good news contained in those verses, Lord. I love how Paul just kind of bullet points all these these truths of what the gospel is and and what it means for us, Lord, what what it meant for him personally, what it accomplished in his life. And Lord, as we go through these things today, may we be reminded personally of what the gospel has done for us, what you've done for us, how you've changed our lives for the better all the things you've saved us from, all the things you are still saving us from, the things you're gonna save us from. Lord, maybe some of us here need today need to be reminded of how the gospel has really been such good news for us and still is so that we can be like Paul and be excited in sharing it with those around us who have yet to experience your power and your love like we have. So Lord, even if we know these things, may you speak them to us in a fresh way today, maybe a way we never thought of before that we need to be reminded of. In Jesus' name, amen. So this first long run on here, verses one through six, 
Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. So Paul starts out this letter and he introduces himself to these Christians in Rome that he hasn't met yet. And he says, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures concerning his son who was descended from David or he came from the offspring of David. That's what Jesus did according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name and among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Christ Jesus. Now, in those first six verses, there are some foundational principles of the gospel that Paul is basically wanting to make clear to the believers here before he ever starts getting into the detail about these things. This is almost like an overview, if you will, or a table of contents of the book of Romans. And there's three things I wanna point out to you that Paul mentions here, all right, that he wants them to be aware of. The first being that the gospel of God, as mentioned in verse one, wasn't a new idea, but rather it was something God foretold beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures in the Old Testament or in the Old Testament, basically. That's what he's saying because that's what it consisted of, uh, or as verse two says. So what he's making clear to these guys is from the very beginning, it was God's plan to save us. He created us to have a relationship with him. Maybe you're here for the first time and you don't understand these things, but God created you. You are not an accident. You are not random. And he created you to know him. And until you do know him, you're always gonna feel like you're searching or miss, something's missing in your life because you were made to have a loving relationship with your creator. Now, having said that, with the very first two people that were created, they chose to disobey God, to not listen to the one commandment, the one rule he said that would result in bad things for them. And that disobedience separated them. Whenever we disobey God, that's called sin. All right, and when we're talking about sin, it just means that we've disobeyed God. And every single one of us is a sinner in here. We've all disobeyed God at some point or another. And God is perfectly just. He's perfectly right all the time. And because of that, he can't be in the presence of sin without justly dealing with it. And what the Bible tells us is sin deserves death. The wages of sin is death. We're gonna get to that later in Romans. So we, those first two people separated themselves from God and so from that point on, God had a mission to reconcile us to himself, to save us from our sin, to, to pay the price for it so we could be forgiven of it and we can know God again. And that is what the good news is. That is what the gospel is, all right? Says uh, back, if you go way back to Genesis 3, after the serpent or Satan tempted Eve to disobey God and sin in the Garden of Eden, God says to the serpent in Genesis 3.15, and I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He, that being a prophetic reference to Jesus, will strike your head and you will strike his heel. How many of you guys know what that verse is referred to, the, tech, the technical term? I don't use these a lot because we don't use words. There you go. Say it again. Okay, I had you say that because I have trouble pronouncing it. So, um, Proto-evangelium, right? That's how you say it, right? So all that is, is it's a compound of two Greek words, protos meaning first, and evangelium meaning good news or gospel, because that is the first mention of the good news 
or the gospel about Jesus way back in the beginning of the Bible, okay? So it's not a new idea. And in addition to that, you have passages like Isaiah 53 that were written hundreds of years prior to Jesus uh, living on the earth or Psalm 22 that was written even a thousand years before Jesus ever lived on this earth that in detail describe the Messiah or the person of Jesus and what he would go through on this earth. All proof that this is in fact God's word because only he could accurately predict the future, all right? But what it makes clear to us is God's plan because of his love for us was to save us from early, early on, from the very beginning, amen? Because So he's making that clear to them. Hey, this gospel, it's not new news. You guys should understand this to some degree, especially the Jewish people that had God's word. So the second thing he points out to him is that the gospel concerns or is about God's son, is verse three says, or basically the gospel is about Jesus. The focus of Christianity is not on teaching morality or a list of do's and don'ts. Now those things are surely listed in scripture, but that's not the focus. The focus of God's word is knowing a real person. And that person is Jesus Christ. Jesus being a real person who lived upon this earth as recorded in the gospels and other historical accounts, him being born through the flesh is verse three says, or as a normal human being would be, this being evidence of his humanity. But he's also was born miraculously because as Luke one thirty five tells us, his mother had not known a man. The Holy Spirit came upon her and he was born through a virgin, Okay. Now, Mary's husband, Joseph, shown to be a descendant of David in the genealogies listed in both Matthew 1 and Luke 3, uh, or Mary's husband, Joseph, was shown to be a descendant of David, basically, and through Mary's marriage to him, Mary and her son, Jesus, would legally enter into his family and become a part of the house of David, or his descendants, as verse 3 tells us, Jesus was a descendant of David, and that fulfilled a prophecy given in 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 16 about the Messiah coming from the lineage of David. Again, a prophecy that was written over a thousand years before Jesus actually came and lived on this earth as a descendant of David. Now, even though Jesus was human, he also was deity at the same time or fully equal with God as his son, as verse three tells us, Jesus was in fact the Lord, as Paul calls us, or calls him in verse four, which is a reference designated for God in other places of scripture, okay? His deity being confirmed through his resurrection or power to conquer death, as verse four tells us, this being something Jesus had told everyone before it actually happened that he would do to prove who he was, because only God could conquer Death, John 2, 18 through 19 is a reference or an example where he actually told this to the Jewish religious leaders as he said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up talking about his body. And the gospel is all about having a relationship with who? Jesus, right? Sometimes you see people that get really excited at hearing the gospel and for a season, they seem to be following Jesus, but then they just fall away. Or you see people that are kind of in and out, like where they're all about the Lord one second, and then they want nothing to do with him with, with the next second. But all that to say is that's, that wasn't Paul's life. We just went through the book of Acts, and like he's hardcore and steadfast, right? 
And I believe the reason why is shown to us in Philippians 3, 8 through 9, because what Paul says in this passage is, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have disregarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. Why was his life all about living living for Jesus? Because it wasn't just head knowledge. He understood Jesus was real. He had seen the effects Jesus had on his life. It was all about, as Philippians 3 says, knowing Christ. That's why he was able to count everything else in his life worthless compared to knowing Christ, not just knowing of Christ. But he's like, no, 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 I've, I've seen how good Jesus is. I've seen how much he loved me. I've seen God, his word. I know his word, but I've seen him keep his word to me over and over again. I've seen when I pray, he actually answers my prayers. Sometimes even better than what I'm asking for. I've seen him actually come and encourage me through my brothers and sisters speaking to me about things that they could have never known or that perfect word right at the right time. I've seen him come through and do miraculous things for me. I got bit by a snake and it didn't kill me. Like we just saw in Acts. He had seen how real Jesus was. The gospel is not about knowing a religion. It's all about knowing Jesus personally. And once you truly experience his love and his power in your life through that relationship you have with him, here's the reality. You'll be like, Paul, you'll never want to depart from that. You will understand that you can't live without him. You can live with everything else, without everything else, but not without him. Amen? So that's the second thing. First, Reminds them the gospel isn't old. The second thing is the gospel is about a person. It's about God's son. It's about Jesus. It's about knowing him. Third thing is that the gospel is good news. That's literally what the word gospel means. It translates translates to good news. But he's sharing with them through believing it. We're able, as verse five says, to receive God's grace. Now, God's grace is undeserved, unearned, unmerited favor. And God wants and is able to give you that favor through faith in his son, Jesus, because of what he's done on the cross, because he's reconciled us to himself. And the cross is the ultimate demonstration of God's grace in your life. Because you didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve it. I was in rebellion against God, yet he loved me anyways. In my sin, I was against him, disobeying him, yet he loved me anyways and sent his son, who was equal with God, to live God in the flesh on this earth and die a sinner's death on a cross, not for any sin he did, but for every sin I did, every sin you did. That's grace. You don't deserve that. That's good news, right? And because we have the favor or help of God in our lives, we have his grace in our lives, we're not only given significant callings, which if you missed teaching a couple weeks ago, we talked about that, how God gave Paul a purpose and significance, but we're not only given those, but as it says in Ephesians 3.20, we are able through his mighty power at work within us. What's, you know, that mighty power, that's grace. Because of his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Or basically as we operate in those callings God gives us, you get to see really cool things done in your life. 
in you and through you because of God's favor on you, all right? For Paul, that calling was being an apostle, as verse five says. And we just spent three years going through the book of Acts, watching all of those cool things God did through Paul as an apostle, amen? So God has truly given us significance and purpose, something that we're all looking for in our lives and can only be found in him, and that is good news. And this should bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name, as verse five says, or basically what the truth of what the good news means for us should make us want to obey God's will in our lives so that we can see him glorified and do those awesome things he's going to do in and through us, all right? Which will lead to opportunities to share the gospel with those around us. The good news being for all nations, as verse five says, or anyone and everyone, which includes you, as verse six says, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Circle that word belong or underline that. Doesn't every single one of us in our life want to belong to something? Don't we spend so much time trying to feel like we belong, to try to be accepted, to try to get people to like us and accept us and believe in us? I struggle with this. A lot of my younger years, part, in part because my dad, like my parents got divorced when I was 10 and my dad hit the road and I just felt like unaccepted. Why wouldn't my dad want to be my dad? And I spent a lot of my childhood trying to be living, to be accepted by people. I wanted to be the most popular guy. I wanted to be the best in academics. I wanted to be the best in sports because I just wanted to please people. I wanted them to be happy with me. And in some way or another, because I was looking to belong in all the wrong places with all the wrong people, because no matter how hard you try, there's always gonna be people that aren't happy with you or they're not gonna give you the, the accolades that you think you deserve or you want. But to some degree, I never felt like I belonged. And it was miserable living for people's approval that I never felt I was getting. When all along, there was one who created me to belong to him, who told me, I love you the way you are, just come. I love you too much to leave you that way, but I love, just come as you are. Who loved me so much that he called or invited me to be with him for all eternity, despite how imperfect I was. He desired my company. And he didn't just love me, he actually liked me. Because it says in John 15 that he desires or he thinks about you as his friend. Isn't that a crazy thought? That the God of the universe, at my worst, wanted to be my friend. That's good news. All right? It's good news. So what Paul's trying to convince them of here. He goes on to verse 7 and he says, To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his saints or, or to the Christians in Rome. That's who he's addressing. Grace to you and peace. Grace being the Greek word charis or how the Greeks would um, say hello to each other. And peace being uh, a word that the Jews, they'd use shalom, but it meant peace. So they, they'd greet each other. So he's kind of greeting Gentiles, how they'd greet each other. And he's greeting Jews, how they would greet each other. Basically addressing this to any Christian, whether, whatever background they were from. 
And he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That being a great Trinitarian verse talking about God the Father and Jesus the Son or God the Son because they're addressed as two separate persons, but he shows they're equal. Again, using that term Lord, which is used for God, Deuteronomy 10, 37 is one example of where it is, but he's using that term Lord for Jesus Christ. But I want you to remember, Paul, he hadn't been to Rome at this point at writing this letter. So the church and the church there was not planted by him or any of the apostles, other apostles best to our knowledge, but rather it appears to have spontaneously just started as people got saved and moved there. Or maybe um, if you go back to Acts 2.10 during Pentecost, there were people there from Rome that maybe got saved and then they came back home. We don't know, but somehow the church started here. And he, but even though Paul hadn't been to Rome yet, there were attributes of the Christians there that he references in verse seven that he knew, like with a shadow of a doubt, because these are believers, these are things you guys share in. First, he says he knew they were loved by God. Second, he says he knew they were saints. Third, he knew they had received God's grace. And fourth, he knew they had peace with God. Now, how could he know these things about these people without ever meeting them? Holy Spirit, well, yeah, but how about this too? that these are things that aren't just for some believers. These are things that you receive through your faith in Jesus Christ that you can be absolutely sure of and you don't have to wonder about. So that's why he's saying like, oh, I know these things about you guys and I haven't even met you. When you place your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're forgiven of your sin and you're reconciled to God. And instantly, first and foremost, you get to start experiencing his love as a father, all right? Because you become a part of his family, as John 1, 12 says, you become a child of God, okay? So you can know you're loved by God through your faith in Jesus. Don't have to doubt that. Second thing is you're a saint or somebody that is holy or set apart. Now, through history, some people have made the mistake of giving that designation to only certain, certain followers of God like thinking that somehow they're super holy or they're super special. It's not the way it works. You're either a believer or an unbeliever or a believer or a pagan is what they would turn like an unbeliever basically back then. Or as J. Vernon McGee used to say, a saint or an ain't, all right? You don't have to wonder. You are holy in God's eyes. You are set apart, okay? So you're loved by God, you are a saint, you are a, a, a Christian. You, the third thing he points out is that you're a recipient of God's grace. What John 1, 16 tells us is that we've received God's grace upon grace. And the idea of that is that when you became a child of God, you started receiving God's favor in your life indefinitely over and over again. It's like the idea of grace upon grace is as one instance of God's favor ends, another one begins. It never stops. It doesn't always feel like that for us because we live in a fallen world and we experience the results of sin that's all around us. But the God that loves us, that's in control of everything going on, has promised even in those hard things, he's working them for our good. And it might take a while to see that, maybe on the next side of eternity, but God is doing that. And what he said is, you can know my favor is upon you. My grace is upon you. So you're loved by God. You are holy in God's eyes. You are a saint. You have his favor upon your life 
or his grace. And then last, you are at peace with God. Because you've been forgiven of any and all transgressions you commit against him through Jesus' blood, you're forgiven. And you're at peace. There's no animosity with God anymore. Paul often, often linking the words grace and peace together in his epistle or his letter greetings and always in that same order that you see in verse seven because in order to experience or when you experience the grace of God, you have to experience the grace of God in, to, in order to truly experience the peace of God in your life. Because here's the thing, if you haven't experienced the grace of God in your life, then you're trying to earn it in some way or another. Now, some people would say they're not. They say, I don't believe in God. But I would argue that most people, they know even if it's, it's kind of subconsciously that they're not a good person. And so that's the reason why they're doing good things. It's for selfish reasons. You're trying to earn or make up for those bad things you've done. And the problem is you're never gonna do enough good things to outweigh those bad things. And so therefore you're never gonna be at rest and you're never gonna be at peace. But when you experience the unconditional grace of God, that he's forgiven you for all your sin, and you can know that I'm a saint, because God says so. It doesn't really matter what anyone else thinks or says, or me or the enemy. This is what God says. I'm right in his eyes. You can finally rest and know there's nothing more to earn, because Jesus has done it all for you, and you can have peace. Amen? All right. So Christians, you're loved by God. You're right in his eyes. You're a saint, okay? His grace is upon your life, and you have peace with him. Don't let anyone, the enemy, your flesh, anyone else convince you differently, all right? Goes on to say in verse eight, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. So apparently these Christians had a good reputation amongst people. We don't know if it's because Rome was kind of the center of the known world at that time. So, you know, a lot of news went out from Rome. So maybe people heard of these Christians more so than others. It might've been too, because Rome had a real reputation for persecuting Christians. So as we just saw in the book of Acts, persecution doesn't stop the word of God from going out. It doesn't stop people from getting saved. It actually like lights a fire because God just, as his, Christ, as his believers, as his children endure through suffering and through, endure through persecution, God just glorifies himself. He does amazing things. More people get saved. And so maybe that's why they're really known for having great faith because of the persecution they face. But Paul wanted these believers to know at the very beginning of his letter in verse eight, hey, I'm thankful for you guys. I've heard about you. And I'm thankful for you. Man, telling somebody you're thankful for them, that you appreciate them, that goes a long way. I've experienced that personally in my life, especially hearing it at times when the Lord knew I needed to be reminded of it, or I've experienced in telling somebody I was thankful for them or I appreciated them. Whether that's through email, text, phone call, whatever it is, verbally, but just taking the time to tell somebody you're thankful for them. Because we have this tendency to become discouraged. And the enemy plays off that. And so this is something that is very important. Actually, Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, encourage each other and build each other up. This is something we need to make it a point to do. In fact, right now, let's take a commercial break. Turn to the person next to you. I don't care if you don't know him. Tell him you're thankful for him. Now, doesn't that feel good? <laughs> Now, here's the thing. Even if you don't know the person, you can be thankful for them because what the Bible tells us is every single one of you are significant and important. 
If you're not here, we hurt as a church body. And if you're not with us, you're going to hurt. So we need to be thankful for each other, okay? And that's what Paul does. He says right in the beginning, I'm thankful for you guys. I don't even know you, but I'm thankful for you, okay? And I can't wait to meet you. So he goes on in verse nine. He says, for God is my witness, or I really want you to know what I'm about to tell you is true, okay? Whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow my, by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Basically, we know how God answered that prayer, right? Send him as a prisoner, all expenses paid trip to Rome. He didn't know that at this, he, he didn't know this, yeah. He didn't know this at this time, but that's how God answered that prayer. Verse 11, for I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, basically anyone's a non-Greek, both to you, the wise, and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. So Paul goes on to tell these believers in Rome that he's always praying for them. That's the idea of praying without ceasing. Like he's just, they're constantly on his mind. And when they come to his mind, he's praying for them and for the opportunity to come see them, which we know that according to verse 13, at this point hadn't happened yet, or the Lord hadn't allowed it. But this constant prayer for the church in Rome surely being one of the reasons why it had such great faith, all right? And we might hear that and go like, well, I don't know, just one guy's prayer. See, that's the problem. This is a good reminder for us to make sure that we never underestimate the power of prayer for other believers. As James tells us in James five sixteen, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. When I was working for ODOT, sometimes people would have problems with our jobs out there on the roads. They get annoyed. I find myself in that position now. I'll be waiting on the bridge. And I'm like, why are they closing a lane in the middle of the, 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 the day? Because I, I know the rules. I know they're not supposed to do these things. But anyways, like people get annoyed with certain things on projects, right? And sometimes they'd come to us and I'm like, okay, well, I'm just the project manager you know, I'm the one managing the contract, but the contract says the contractor can do this and I can't not let them do this. Otherwise, you know, we'd have a change order or something like that. So I, I can't really do anything. So what that would lead to is them talking to somebody with more power than me, often a politician. And it's funny because when you call a favor into a politician, you know, whatever rules there were, they just seem to go away sometimes because <laughs> that person has power. And so we'd get a call that that person would contact somebody at the top and that person, somebody below them, and eventually get back to me and said, who cares what the contract says? You're making people, this politician unhappy, or this politician that wants the people to be happy, so you're gonna do what they say, all right? But I, as I was thinking about this, I was just thinking, don't we have the ultimate person to call a favor into in God? <laughs> and here's the thing, you don't have to wonder, because I just told you, he wants to show you his favor, so when you're playing for other believers, you can know that he wants to answer those prayers in a way that is showing his favor upon them. See, sometimes we just think a prayer is like, well, I guess it's the only thing I can do. That is such the wrong thinking. It's the best thing you can do. And when you understand that, 
then you become like Paul and you pray without ceasing. You pray all the time because you realize this is the first and best thing I can do and any one of us can do it, amen? So he prays for them, all right? And they're a blessed church, apparently. Now, one reason Paul wanted to visit them according to verse 11 and 12 uh, was so that the Holy Spirit could work through the individual gifts that they each had been given to strengthen and encourage one another. And again, this is another example that we see a lot in Paul's life of where he shows us fellowship with other believers is vital in the life of a Christian as we've each been uniquely gifted. We each have purpose. We each have significance. And God intends to use each of us to mutually encourage and strengthen one another. Sometimes you think you're just giving, but the other thing is that's happening is you're getting. Sometimes you think you're just sharing, but you end up receiving. Sometimes you think you're just serving someone, but you're the one that ends up being served in the process. This often works out like when I go on a mission trip because I'll go on it thinking, oh, I'm gonna go serve Jesus. And then the Lord just meets me in an amazing way. I'm the one that's blessed. I'm the one that's served. So if we're feeling discouraged or weak in our lives, our response should always be to just ditch church and ditch Christians. No, no. It's to go to our brothers and sisters in the Lord, even if they're the ones that messed up, all right? Because that's gonna happen sometimes. But that's, God is going to work through those gifts he has given us to encourage and build each other us. And in the process, he's gonna do the same for the other people, even if that's just learning to show grace. Amen? Amen. Now, the other reason Paul wanted to visit Rome, according to verses 13 and 15, was so he could preach the gospel to the unbelievers there, wanting to become part of the harvest or great work, as it says, that God was already doing through the church in Rome. Paul seeing it as an obligation or his main responsibility to preach the good news about Jesus, as verse 14 says, wherever the Lord took him, all right? And now Paul goes on to clearly and concisely explain the gospel in the remainder of this book, okay? As we get into these next verses, this is where we're starting to get into the meat. And I want you to note, and this is something I'm gonna encourage you guys, read ahead in the book of Romans because there is a, a flow of it. It almost resembles like a lawyer presenting a case in a legal case. If you've ever, if you've ever been to like a court or you've ever been to a jury, on a jury, it kind of looks like that. It's like this expertly explained case, which is the gospel to show how we're all sinners. We all need to be saved. God did this amazing thing in saving us. Here's what it does in your life. Here's how now how you should live your life. And he starts out with this, in a sense, opening argument or summation of the whole entire gospel in verses 16 and 17. He says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To some people? No, to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. Or the idea is it begins and ends in faith. It's all in faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Paul quoting Habakkuk 2.4, that the idea is one who by faith is righteous shall actually live for the first time. I like how the New Living Translation translates it, um, Romans 1, 16 through 17. It says, for I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. The good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. 
As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. So Paul tells the believers here, right off the bat, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Or in essence, what he's telling them is that you guys have nothing to be ashamed of. Now, why is he telling them that? Do we not feel ashamed sometimes in our flesh, right? Because we know that we're gonna face ridicule by some people. They're gonna think we're crazy. They're gonna you know, say all types of things. You hear it all in the world. So our flesh's tendency, and the enemy tries to really you know, tempt us into believing it, is that you should, feel, you, should, you should feel ashamed. And so that's why he starts out with saying that I'm not ashamed, or you guys, there's nothing to be ashamed of, all right? It's like he's reminding them of, them of this tendency in their flesh. And of course, in Rome, this wealthy, educated, somewhat prejudiced city, these believers probably were ridiculed. I mean, they believed in... in, in a set of beliefs of faith that embraced the lowest classes of society. And the people of Rome would have said, no, no, they're not good enough for God. They embraced a faith that was kind of centered around a crucified Jewish savior and they thought Jewish people were pretty low. Them in their education would have thought the idea of God coming and living in the flesh and lowering himself to die as a person and then be raised from the dead, that's crazy talk. So they probably face this ridicule and he's trying to encourage them and he gives them two reasons why you guys don't have to be ashamed. First, he says, it is the power of God for salvation. Basically, what he's saying is the gospel speaks for itself, people. Look at what it's done in my life. Look at what it's done in your life. That is proof of God's power. It's what saved you. It's what changed you. It's what God used to change an angry, drunkard, promiscuous, violent, prideful, depressed, purposeless, I had to write these down, I could have gone on, sinner like myself into the person I am today. And God must have a sense of humor because of all things, he made me a pastor. (laughs) If back then, man, I would never have thought that. The people that knew me back then, when I meet them today, what? That's power of God, all right? The gospel is what God used to allow me to experience what it was like to be alive for the first time. Without Jesus, I was dead in my sin. Yeah, I was going through the motions of living, but I had no identity. I had no purpose. I had no reason for existing because those things can only come through knowing God in the good, pleasing, and perfect plan he has for your life, which he can only reveal to you through that relationship. The gospel is powerful because it isn't just good advice or a program, but involves having a close relationship with a savior that's very much alive and always working in you and through you. It's tangible. You might not see God face to face now, but you see the evidence of him. And people can see that. When you're sharing your testimony, there is nothing to be ashamed of. And then the second reason is it proves God's love for us. There's nothing, not an ounce of hate or bad news in the gospel. It's all good news. And it all shows God's love through, as he says in verse 17, the righteousness of God. See, the righteousness of God shows God's love because we all want justice in our lives, especially when somebody wrongs us, right? We want justice. What God's word says, because he's righteousness, Everyone's gonna get justice, all right? 
So that's the first part of it. God's the judge. He knows all things. Nothing slips his mind. And if you choose not to receive the free gift of forgiveness through Jesus, which is available to everyone, you will be judged. But here's the flip side of it. Because here's the thing. We want justice when we're being wrong, but what about when we wrong other people? I'll take grace then. But that's the flip side of the gospel that show God's love because even though you deserve to be judged, even though I deserve to be judged, God says, I put that judgment on my son instead of you. When you didn't deserve it, I loved you and I love you now and my son has taken the place that you deserved and all my wrath and all my judgment that your sin deserved, it went upon him so that it's taken care of in full. And if you want to receive that free gift of forgiveness, it's yours. And I did that because I love you. I like you. You belong, I want you to belong to me. Just as you are, come to me. That's love, people. That's God's love. Jesus took upon himself all that judgment over our sins, right? And because of that, we were saved from the penalty of sin, which is what we call justification. We are saved from the power of sin, which is what we call sanctification. And we will be saved from the presence of sin, which is what we call glorification. And we will talk about those things in more detail as we go through the book of Romans. Amen? Amen. And Paul makes it clear in verse 17 that this gift of salvation can only be received by God from faith for faith. Or the idea is that you were saved through faith in the good news about Jesus and you continue to be saved through your faith in our living Jesus. See, here's the thing. We get, a lot of us get the point that we're saved through faith, but then what happens after that is we turn it into works or we inadvertently do that sometimes where it's like, okay, cool. I'm saved by God's grace. I'm saved through faith in Jesus. But now I better make sure I'm, I'm following the word because I'm doing good with, to make sure I'm doing good with him. No, 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 no. See, here's the thing. You have the father's approval. You don't need to live to try to earn it. You don't need to try to earn something you already have. And the fact that you have his approval, the fact that he loves you despite your mistakes, the fact that he's continually showing grace to you and mercy despite your mistakes, that's what makes you want to live for him. That might, that, that's what makes you want to live with him and that's what enables you to live for him because you can't do it apart for yourself. Amen? It's good news. Is there anyone here that doesn't think that's good news? <laughs> it's good news. So as the worship team comes back up here, I just wanted more than anything to remind us that, man, we have so much to be thankful for. It's such good news. I love how Paul says there he felt obligated to share it. You know, let's see if I can find that definition. Obligation means an act or course of action to which a person is morally or legally bound, a duty or commitment. Now, again, we don't have to tell people the good news to somehow earn God's grace. We already have his grace. We already have his favor. But when you understand and see God's favor in your life, his grace in your life, when you like Paul explained, uh, like all these good things, you understand the good news, you understand how amazing it is what God has done for you, that he saved you 
from your sin, that he's pulled you from that life of having no purpose, of never being content, of just trying to satisfy your flesh and actually doing harm to yourself and other people, that he's done all of this great things, these good things for you. When you realize that the gospel is nothing, has meant nothing but good news for you, you'll want to share it with other people. And if for some reason we've lost sight of that, maybe we just need to be reminded of it today. Maybe we need to remember what we were like and what we are like now because of God. Maybe you're somebody here for the first time and you're just hearing this and you want what God has to offer. You want God in your life. You wanna receive forgiveness of your sins so you can have a relationship with him and he can come and give you love and peace and holiness, all these things we talked about that you have as a believer so that you can leave here as a child of God. And you can rejoice in the good news of your life. See, the good news, sometimes we think of as external is just something we tell other people. No, no, first and foremost, it's internal. The good news is about you and what God's done for you. And you get to go share that with others so it can become about them as well. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna have our response time. We're gonna have the communion tables opened up because communion is something God gave us, Jesus set in order for us to remember the good news. Remember the gospel, remember what he's done for us. We take that bread and we remember his body that was broken on the cross that needed to be sacrificed, a perfect sacrifice, which none of us could ever have fulfilled. Nobody could have done that except God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. He paid the price for our sins, the, the just price. That's what was deserved. He paid for that in his death, his body being broken, his blood being spilled, which atoned for our sins. So we take those elements and we remember that. And while we're remembering that, if we have sin in our life, we confess it, knowing that his blood paid for it and we're forgiven of it. And that we can come with God. We don't have to hide our sin. We can bring it out in the light and know that we're not condemned, we're forgiven, and we can ask him for help and to walk in that freedom that he's given us through the Holy Spirit inside of us that has set us free from sin, that has regenerated us, that we're born again, we're different people, and we can live in that different life. Another thing to be thankful for, but we just meditate on all God's done for us as we're taking that communion and we give him thanks and it helps us remember there's nothing to be ashamed of. We've got nothing but good news to share with people. And then we leave here ecstatic at the good news of our life that's been shown in our life by God and we go and share it naturally with others so that they can experience it too, amen? So more than anything, I believe that's what the Lord want, wanted to remind us of today. Your life is full of good news because of him. And if you don't know him yet, your life can be full of good news if you're willing to repent of your sin, turn from your sin and turn towards him today, looking for him to save you from it. Your life can be a testimony of good news as well. That's why God sent his son to die for you. Amen. We'll have our prayer team around the room as the lights get turned off. Man, I encourage you guys, pray for one another. Like I was talking about, there's so much power in that. That's why God tells us to do it with each other. Come up and get prayer. If you're somebody that wants to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you don't know how to do it, come up and get prayer. We'll lead you in a prayer. Whatever else, right now more than anything, 
you're gonna take communion on your own and just remember how good God has been to you in your life. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you so much for all you've done for us. Just even reading these opening statements in this book of Paul before he starts getting into the detail about these theological truths is so good to remember the, the gospel and what it is and the good, how, how good news it is, the things that it it's meant for us, the things it does mean for us, the things that you're still doing in us, Lord, that you're gonna do, the things we can be absolutely confident of because they're gifts received through faith in your son. They're not anything we're trying to earn or we have to wonder about. There's so much surety and confidence we can have in you and who you say we are and the things that you said about us, Lord, that we couldn't have had apart from you and we're so thankful for that. Even now, Lord, would you just remind us, maybe even just in a, a different way, in a sense, giving us a fresh revelation of, of what you've saved us from, of all you've done in us, of all you're doing so that we can just be reminded, maybe even how, how be reminded of how stoked we were when we first got saved, even knowing so little about you then, but just knowing that we were forgiven and we had a relationship with God and, and sensing your power and your love in our lives. May we be reminded in a fresh way now with a fresh understanding of your love, a fresh vision of your power, a reminder of all the good news you've done in our lives individually so that we leave here just ecstatic and ready to share it like Paul, that we feel obligated to share it with the different people in our lives, our wives, our kids, our neighbors, our coworkers, our, our, the other students around us in our schools. That's why we're here, Lord. You've placed us here so they could have the same good news in their lives. Jesus' name, amen.